Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we're talking to Suzanne Worthley, who has been a quantum energy healer practitioner, intuitive, and psychic empath for more than two decades. She is the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying and her newly released Confident Empath, which is what we're going to talk about today. Hey, Suzanne, thanks for being on. Empath is such a hot subject right now. And you have, in in your book, you talk about your evolution as an empath and all the different empaths and oh yeah and um empathing if i'm saying that right yes <laughs> but anyway so tell me about your experience as an empath and what what an empath is great thank you for having me first off i appreciate the time because this is such an important subject to me so i i really appreciate it i yeah i have evolved as an empath i think a lot of people that are psychics um, our empaths, but I find as being a practitioner, almost everybody walking this planet is empathic to some extent. And I did my best to really show the difference between what the word empathy and empathing is different because it really, really moves the energy in a whole completely different manner. And so it is totally different. Yeah. And you, and go, you, you explain it pretty well in the book. Yeah, we use that word. So, you know, this day and age, oh, I'm an empath. I'm an empath. It comes off right. almost kitschy, kind of like, oh, it's cool. And it's it's really not cool if you're not trained because it can really be detrimental to your health. So that's what off, I think. You know, there's right? an upside I'm, and there's definitely a downside to this, you know. There is, there is. And we are born to be empathic. That is part of the human experience. We are born with sentience feel centers. We are supposed to be able to walk in someone else's shoes. And that's what empathy is. It's a beautiful birthright of connection of one and all. But empathing, I always say on interviews, not only do you walk in their shoes, but you steal their shoes and you keep their shoes and you make their shoes your own. <laughs> right? You don't I love give those, that. Yeah. You don't give the shoes back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. it gets really, really detrimental to your energy fields, not just your physical, but a lot of times your emotional and your mental as well. So this is, it can be a really dangerous route. And yes, what I, I don't was... like about it there is um, they, they distrust themselves. They lose trust in themselves because they don't know any more which are their shoes and which are somebody else's shoes. <laughs> or I think oftentimes, Barb, they actually assume everything's their shoes. And this is right. why they're so overwhelmed and exhausted. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even know how much discernment people do because they don't really understand the subject. So I think this is a really perfect timing for this book to come out because people are so fear-based right now. Right, right. With everything that's and going so on. And so out of body. And so yep. out of body. And we yeah. want to fix everything and we want to make it all better for somebody that we love. And so we are empathing beyond measure right now. So this is a very, very, I, I think, a really critical time for us to get some skills right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 It's great. So, so how did you start? I mean, well, I was, I was an empath when I was a kid. I mean, I was a psychic yeah. kid and I write about that in the book. I pretty much tell some bigger stories, this book, each book, I'm getting a little more courageous on my personal stories. 
um, but was very psychic as a kid and they can read that in there, but shut it down for quite a while. But then it came back with a vengeance in my thirties. And, you know, at this point I was a corporate executive with four kids and two mortgages and running around, traveling around the country, just thinking life was grand. And boy, oh boy, I got my rear end kicked because all my psychic skills came back and I was just realizing how overwhelmed I was with energy. Right. And this is when I started. Why to did they all study. come back in your, you 30s? know, why did they, I, I have to, and I mean, I'm not kidding. They came over like, boom, like on like overnight, boom. That's how fast everything came back. Um, I think it's a combination of collective energies, what's happening in the bigger matrix of the things that's the overall creational reality. I think some of us get called back on mission, you know, Hey, it's time to get to work. Um, it's time to help activate others, et cetera. So I think it just happens organically. Were you, or you were predestined that, okay, now you have to do your work. Oh, I was told when I was eight years old in the mirror, you are here on mission and we will activate you when it's time. Oh, there you go. Now you know yeah. why I came up on in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you came back in as a, as a full-blown empath, um, oh. How was it? Were you it, just overwhelmed by the world? And yeah, I, mean, I was all, exhausted. Like all doors and windows were open. <laughs> yes, that's how I, you, you know, we talk very similar. It's funny. I say oftentimes it's like your car windows are open and it's pouring rain and you can't figure out why you're wet. You know, you got yeah, your sunroof yeah. open, you got everything open. <laughs> so yeah, I was struggling quite extensively and I was not aware or understanding the world of empathing. That was not a subject matter. It wasn't in books. It wasn't, there weren't podcasts. There wasn't people okay. like you out there. There wasn't people like me out there. There wasn't energy, you know, practitioners. And so I really struggled for many, many years and it okay. took a toll on me a lot. It really did until I started to really understand. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to realize that I had, I told you before we got on, I'm a recovered empath. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have and to it use took, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took me a long time um, to not only reverse it, but then realize I had been and then recognize it with yeah. others. I yeah. actually love and truly, honestly, I actually love being um, an empath because I can turn it on and turn it off and I can monitor it. And mm -hmm. I observe, we talked before um, recording also about neutral, a neutral space is where I live right. in a lot and I can watch myself and observe myself often. And this mm -hmm. gives me a really, I think, ability to monitor my empathing. So I love the ability to empath. It's great for my work. It's great for my person. It's great for my experiences. Right. You know, you see it's the world for times gathering 10. information. Yeah, yep. it is great yep, yep. for that. Um, most of the people out there, don't have the tools. They're they're no. out of body. They're in other people's spaces. They're they I I call it a merge. They merge. They become them. Like you were saying, taking the shoes. Yep. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, and and then come back with a little bit of the person they just merged with. And again, yep. that's where I say you don't know whose information is whose. And now they're I, here. And I've used this example a bunch of times. Um, when I was an empath, not knowing, I, I was in a restaurant and ordered Brussels sprouts with a whole group of people. And as she's going to get me my Brussels sprouts, I realized I hate Brussels sprouts. No way. <laughs> now I've ordered them. Oh, <laughs> and now my gosh. best body's going to have to eat them because what are you going to say? Hey, anybody want these? I hate them. I don't know why I ordered them. You know, and that's where I think 
you start to lose trust in yourself. And what it was is I had merged with another energy and they loved Brussels. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I didn't recognize the difference. What was my thought? What what was me? What was them? Right. And I didn't recognize the difference. And but I started to think, what's the matter with me? What, am I crazy? You know, why would I do that? But that's where I say you start to lose trust in yourself. Well, and and I would classify you as a a psychic sensitive empath. There's three kinds in the book that I discuss: general empath is basically a lot of people, probably 95% of the people walking around the planet are a general empath to some extent, but the empathic process will organically move through them very, very quickly. And so they're not maintaining or holding on to that negative energy. So that's pretty typical, like, oh gosh, I'm overwhelmed. There's too many people at this party. I don't like this much noise. The lights are bothering me. All of that stuff is kind of like general empathing, and we can pretty much move it through. Um, you're sad. My kid's upset. My mom's, up, you know, angry. All of these things we can move through. But when you move into the sensitive empath, now we start to open up. Oh, my goodness. Now I can really feel all your feels, and I can really sensitively become you. And now we start to take on all of your things. But you are the third category, as am I in that now we open up to the psychic senses. So now we're taking it from paranormal, multidimensional, land energy, you know, um, past lives, current lives, future lives. I mean, you're taking everything Mm -hmm. in. And so I think the psychic sensitive empath oftentimes does think they're a little nutty because you're going to realms that aren't technically here, but they're here, but they're Mm -hmm. not here. And so that's really hard on us. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I can can understand I'm comfortable now with it, but I can, as you, like you, I can turn it on and turn it off. It's yes. not on all the time. Yeah. And, um, and if somebody gets into my space, I know pretty quickly it's chaos. It becomes yeah. chaos. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> and but, my, um, my antennas are on all the time as are yours. I'm sure Barb in that your antenna is always out, but you're not looking to empath, but you definitely know, oh, boom, I just got a red flag or a trigger. I'm definitely going to pull a boundary here. So I think that's a wonderful, beautiful gift to have if you're a confident yeah. empath. Yeah. So, right? right. I don't know if my antennas are on. I do. I do. I know I'm protected. I It's, it's on another level. But mm-hmm. I, you know, loosen the keys, you know, what did I forget? <laughs> you know, all that. I'm totally there. <laughs> and people always say, well, you're a psychic. How can you lose the keys? Easy, easy. <laughs> I love that one. Yes. Yeah. 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 But um, <laughs> so you did break it down to the three, which I saw, which was great. Um, yes. What about people? Like you talk about 95% were all somewhat empathic. Are there yeah. people who are not? I do believe that there are human bodies walking around this planet at this point in time that have gone through, in my opinion, and take what resonates here, toss what doesn't. In my opinion, if they have gone through too many reincarnation lifetimes, coming back, coming back, coming back. When I teach my um, membership group or my classes or my whatever, I often refer to it. It's almost like a grayscale person, meaning I've gone through the printer press so many times that the ink is not quite as black anymore. It's kind of at a grayscale, <laughs> right? And so a grayscale mm-hmm. human experience loses a lot of their connection to their higher self because they're, they're just doing the process over and over and over and over and over and over. And they haven't really done the soul work to connect and stay connected. And so I, I think a lot of those people are basically kind of walking around disconnected 
from almost everything that they're encountering, including energy. And so, and that's not to judge them in any manner. This is a process yeah, that's happened just because is. of the ascension. Yep. And we're, yeah. and we're closing that door now that won't be happening to humans any longer because that was really a program that was really outdated. And so I think that that won't be the case anymore. I think people are upping their actual skill set of feels. And I write in the book, there's a difference between think feeling and feel feeling. And many of those grayscales and lots of humans walking around are think feelers. How do you feel about that? Good. Okay. That's not a feel, <laughs> you know? So we're very trained to think feel because it's protection. And so now we are moving into a frequency on this planet that is really encouraging us to feel feel because that's our inner power. And how do we protect ourselves if we're doing that? I think you it's know, very important. up like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very important for us to start with chapter one of the book in terms of literally looking at your belief systems. That book starts out with you have to in terms of if you're going to make it somewhere with this thing, and I rarely say have to because <laughs> you choose to, it's moving into that concept and that idea of I am going to examine my belief systems and what I truly grew up with for beliefs in terms of my power and how far I go into other people's spaces and places and my responsibilities and my self-worth. Because what we find with the empath is, is they're actually struggling with their own self-worth. And that's why we find ourselves, you know, dipping in everybody's pool per se. So, right. yeah. To become them kind of, to take well, the word, because you talk about energy drains as well. Yes. Yeah, it's it's called energy transference. So for example, when mm -hmm. I come across someone, and if I don't have my own work going on in my life, my spiritual work, and I don't mean religion, I mean, spiritual work, my spirit, my soul, my my fuel, and I designated in the book, uh, like we are a vehicle of source, whatever your God package looks like, that's great. But we are a vehicle of that. So a vehicle needs gas. And the gas is our consciousness. And it comes through our chakra system and our tank is our aura. And if we don't have a good tank in our car, we know our car parts aren't going to be working real well. So we're just the same. If our auric field is not in good shape, I can't maintain my gas. So if I have a leaky gas tank, I'm going to be going through the day empathically stealing energy everywhere. I'm stealing it from people, places, things. And I don't even sometimes know I'm doing it. And other times mm -hmm. I know darn well I'm doing it. And so it is really a dangerous ride because you're going up, down, up, down, up, down all day with someone else's energy and it wears out. And therefore we become very vampiric, hence the word energy vampire. So this is a process that can get really dangerous over the long term. And that's why I break it down quite extensively in terms of your energy fields, because that's where it all mm -hmm. starts. You want to give your story about you and how you were the one? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, because um, that, um, that did explain a lot. You know? Yeah. And well, then we'll and, go and, into, we'll back into the compassion and all of that. Yeah. You Thank know, you but for right asking now, that one. Yeah. It was, that was a humbling one to write because that was hard. <laughs> I uh, grew up as a uh, number two in a family of six kids and was oftentimes being one of the ones that took care of the little ones, et cetera. And I'll make this short story sh quite short in the book. It's way more extensive. But my father lost his business. He was a mortician, lost his business when I was 15. And I watched my sense of safe go out the door from 15 year old's eyes. I watched everything go. That was right. what connotated safe. Right. I mean, that was my safe. And I stood in the middle of that kitchen. and I said, this will never happen to me ever because I will be the one 
to be able to maintain my safe. And that created and instilled a very distinct belief system that became very egoic as my years went on. And I, everyone from everyone's outside view was like, wow, she's really accomplished. But I was losing my marbles. So I was the one that would do the dinner parties <laughs> and the one that was taking care of the hockey, you know, parents and the kids and got everyone in the yard and I'm traveling and I'm dead. Oh my gosh, I was that energizer bunny times 10. And I was terrified that if I stopped doing, 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 doing to prove to everyone how wonderful I was, that I was the one and making sure I was safe, I didn't know who I was. And I fell to pieces. I literally fell to my knees in my street, in my home, <laughs> one day when it all came <laughs> crashing down. And I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And I lost it. And um, I was very much labeled the one in the family also with my siblings. And so I was so mad about it that we were going to Thanksgiving soon after this all happened. And I screamed to my siblings on the phone, someone else can do Thanksgiving because I always did it. And I mean, I had the right napkins and the right plates and the right, you know, the whole nine yards. It had to be perfection. Family. Yeah, I yeah. drove my family insane, yeah. right? My kids yeah. to this day just go, yeah. oh my God. So yeah, I, I was nasty and mean about it. And I said, I'm not even doing Thanksgiving. And I said, and I'm not even going to make anything. I'm going to buy a stupid pie from the gas station. I mean, that's how, you know, bitter and resentful I was, right? Right. And I learned a very humbling lesson when I walked into my sister's house, which was, you know, a quarter of the size of my house and everyone was stuffed inside. And I wanted everyone to be upset and angry. I wanted to prove that I was mm -hmm. that one. And instead, everyone was having a beautiful, wonderful time. And I was so ashamed. I literally went out on the deck and lost it. I just lost it. And that's the day, truly, Barb, when the light bulb went on. Oh, my gosh, this is me. I'm the problem. <laughs> I'm the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you're the perfectionist and the control freak, you're empathing mm -hmm. everything. So right, it's a big right. indicator. And you said then, too, you were stealing energy from your kids and your husband. Oh, and God, you everybody. Were, you you yep. were just... Yeah, take and them I didn't all down know. with you. I didn't yeah. know. I was I was what you would classify an ignorant empath because I just didn't <laughs> know, you know, but mm -hmm. I did know inside of me that something wasn't right. And it was a tiny little voice that kept saying, you're not, it, you're not, a, you know, in balance here. And this was before energy right. work. So I didn't know. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm doing as much as I possibly can with platforms that are available like yours. And thank you again, because it's important for people to know this is this is a thing. If you are the control yeah. freak, if you're the one and your ego is in the wrong place, you're really robbing everybody of their experiences just to fill your own bucket. Mm -hmm. Now, if you hadn't hit your knees in the middle of the street, <laughs> how would you go back and know this and clean it up or, or change it if you were just you know, you it didn't get so heavy that, that it crushed you. I think for me, the timing wasn't, there wasn't the answers because we're talking 20 plus years ago. And this concept of energy has changed so dramatically. So people right now are very lucky and fortunate that there's shows like this, that there's books like mine and others, that there is information out there and practitioners to help you because this is a really big thing that has grown exponentially over the years because the energy is growing and we are really struggling for our identities. So I think I probably just would have crashed and burned. Truly. I don't think I would have mm. figured it out. It was part of my awakening process to remembering who I truly was in terms of being a healer 
And I think that this was in, integral in terms of me coming forward to say, oh man, I can't do anything for anyone else if I don't figure out my own stuff first. Clean right, up your own right. house, right? So it was timing. Yeah. It was very divine timing. But um, in the book, you do talk about people take a look at your patterns, your beliefs, yes. your patterns. You so know, what that patterns. is, yeah. that is. So the book, if you follow the book now, there is information out, hence the book and others um, to say, look at your belief patterns. Look at if you're a worrier, that's a huge one. Look at mm-hmm. if you are needing to go, 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 go and have a list for your list for your lists, you know, um, yeah. which I used to do, by the way. And um, these are all patterns. And so you there's information in there that you can identify. Yeah, I am an empath. The harder ones are the things that I write about in this book that really, really makes this a unique um, presentation of this material in that multi-dimensional empathing. This isn't something most people talk about. So oftentimes we're empathing the animal kingdom or the water or the trees or all kinds of things in nature. You know, I really want to get into that, but not just yet. I want to back up a little bit and talk about the difference between sympathy, compassion, empathy, you know, okay. all, it, it's a basic and we kind of blew right past that. So I'd like to go back. Perfect. Um, yeah. So oftentimes we feel sorry for somebody and sympathy is different than empathy. Empathy is I'm going to walk in your shoes and I'm going to feel it, but then I'm going to true empathy. I'm going to walk in your shoes. I'm going to feel it. And then I'm just going to hold space for you. I'm not going to take that energy. But sympathy starts to break us into empathic, meaning, oh, I feel so sorry for you oh my gosh, you're so sick or you're so sad or you lost your job. And when I get into that sympathy thing, I start to become you and I want to fix you. And this is when the empathing starts. So when we become very compassionate and pull back and start to understand that person has a right to their walk, they have a right to their pain, they have a right to their loss, they have a right to their sickness. This is when we start to become very confident and understanding I can still hold space for you which in some people's wording is prayer, or I can just be there or I can support you, but I don't have to go into that whole pitying you and sympathizing with you and becoming you. People do it all the time. Oh my gosh, I'm so sad. I'm so sad that happened. And I'm like, why are you sad? Cause it's not your sad. You can support it. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah, support yeah. it. Right. But it's not your mm-hmm. sad. So it's a, it's a boundary crossing. It really is. Mm-hmm. But can it be, can't you be sad for them and not try and fix them? That's when you become confident. Definitely. You can be sad and you can feel that sad as long as you're designating, okay, this is their sad, not my sad. Right? Right. right. Yeah. Okay. And um, the other one too is, well, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the fixing it, the jumping into their yep. space. But the, the, part because some of you you go through and say look at what you're saying and this will help you point to where you are with this oh definitely and which i thought was very helpful but i was in the sympathetic you know fix it and i don't think i am i think i'm much more neutral than that but the empathetic was kind of cold to be honest it was kind of you know like "Eh, good luck with that no really (laughs) It really isn't, though. I mean, that's I write in the book that I was accused of being cold my whole life because I knew empathy was different than empathing and sympathy. And so it would be like, oh, you know, I remember a dinner party. Oh, God, I remember a dinner party where a lot of us ladies got together from my old corporate days. And somebody said, 
you know, that one of their sons got divorced and everybody at the table went, oh, to the, to our friend who was the mother, right? Right. Oh, that's so sad. And I, and I, at the very same time went, that's great. And they all looked at me like, <laughs> what, you a nut? And I said, yeah. well, I'm sorry. And they're like, why would you be so cruel and cold? And I said, that's not cold. And they said, well, why don't you feel sorry for her? And I said, well, first of all, it's not her divorce. Second of all, if she's thinking that she did something that related to her son's decision, that's ridiculous, right? And maybe her mm -hmm. son wanted that freedom and a life to move forward. And maybe they needed to go through that change. And I'm just looking at the honest opinion of neutrality that if that's what they chose, they get to do that, right? I, I don't get a spin on that. But man, the face I got at that dinner party was just like, who are you, you horrible person? <laughs> yeah. How did the person whose kids were getting divorced, how did they, she take it? Well, she actually, out of the four of us, was the one that understood the most because she said, yeah, it was time. He needed to get out. I get it. You know, so but the immediate reaction of that overwhelming pity and sympathy, not only for the right. person who was getting divorced, but the extended family. I mean, goodness sakes, this is all about and I, you know, we all have agreements in families. We all learn together. This is all one thing. So stay in your sandbox is what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And quit throwing the sand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I want to take a break right now. And then I want to come back and now talk about the multidimensional. Perfect. Okay, okay. Okay. We'll be right back. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one -one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and we're back with Suzanne Worthley, and we are talking about her book, Confident Empath. And we've been talking about empaths, different types of empaths, and the difference between being sympathetic and empathic. And then I wanted to bring up, um, wanted to before the break, but um, that people, if they believe they're an empath, they believe they're a good person. Mm -hmm. This is a, a good, kind, caring, lovely person. That's yes. who I am because I'm yes. an empath. <laughs> yes. And, and that, 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 oh, yeah, that's the doozer. Um, and they most likely are a wonderful, kind person, mm -hmm. first and foremost. However, this is why the book starts out with learned belief systems, because most of the time we are learning in our childhood from a parent or someone else, a teacher, a sibling, whatever, that I 
I'm the nice one. I need to be nice. I need to fix this. I don't want to have the boat rocking. I'm going to be the one that's taking care of the eggshells. I don't like confrontation and on and on it goes. And so this makes that concept of being nice and helpful seem normal and natural. And yet it really isn't when it comes to energy, because what happens then is, is that we're not, we are putting ourselves last. We are putting ourselves last for everything. So I am going to help and help and help and help to prove to everyone that I'm wonderful and kind and lovely. When in essence, I'm already wonderful, kind and lovely. I don't have to be jumping through so many hoops all day long and exhausting myself and not taking care of me. So it comes down to that word selfish a lot. And I really believe personally that we should change that in the dictionary to self-love and Mm self-worth because it is critical that I fill my own gas tank first, or I don't bring a good Suzanne to the table. And this is exactly the opposite of what the empath does because they think they need to be nice. Right. Mm -hmm. And they want to be recognized for it. That's a lot. They need that recognition as you were talking with you. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding? My outside (laughs) validation was a hundred percent it. And until I learned exactly the opposite, this is why spiritual work is so important is when we understand that spiritual work means that you go inside, you retreat inside to find your validation because that's where it lies. But if we're continually going outside We are constantly chasing something or someone or whatever to validate that we're fabulous. And it gets exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. It's never ending. It really is. Right. And you need more and more and more revs up rather than, okay, I think I'm full. Yes. Tell me about the multidimensional empath. Well, I think one of the reasons why I'm so excited about my own book, if I can sound so, so no, silly. do you know it's a great. <laughs> if I can book. sound so it silly saying book. that, but um, I I was very excited to be able to share so many cool client stories that I come across from my own personal experiences or client experiences that go into other dimensions. And most in writing this, of course, you look at other empath books out there, and not one of them was really touching on multi-dimensional and energetic protection in that regard. So. That's why I think it was really super to be able to look at my clients and really assess, goodness sakes, so many of them are completely empathing so much more than just humans. They're empathing on a collective level. And oftentimes they're collectively taking things from nature first and foremost. So that's the easiest one to start with. And I start with land and spaces and things like that in the book, and I break them all out individually. But I mean, things as far as I can feel the trees, if that's where I resonate to, and I know the trees are sad, or I know the animal kingdom is sad. If I don't have a practicum or a discernment tool, I don't know that I'm taking on sad from something on a collective basis. And if I don't know and don't discern, I will make that sad mine because that's what the mind of the human will do. I will make that sadness mine. And this is really detrimental to our relationships and our whole body and our life because it wasn't mine in the first place. Does that make sense that I just transfer it? Yeah, Yeah. that you you felt it and then believed it was yours. And I made it mine. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I feel loss or I feel something's broken and sad and awful and I come home to my partner and I think, oh gosh, I must have a really bad relationship because I just keep looking at him or her over and over every day and I'm so sad and I don't know what's wrong. So something must be wrong with us. And I transfer that into a relationship and it had nothing to do with that. It might just be the truth. So I give really specific 
um, um, almost strategies and tactics in this book in terms of how you identify that, how you look at it, how you actually examine it, and how you move it out of your body so that it doesn't. How do you look? How do you identify it? Because we are all um, going through such emotional angst right now. Yeah. <laughs> and is it ours? Is it somebody else's? Is it at this point, you know, with climate change, the planet, the planet, you know, yeah. and is in an upheaval. So, you know, it, how do you identify? It's, a, it's another practicum of spiritual work in terms of first and foremost, that gas tank that we talked about. This is the discernment classroom. So as soon as that auric field becomes very comfortable and intimate with your own self, you'll know when that got penetrated or when it got um, threatened. Okay. You've already made mention of that for yourself. So actually after that is this breakout of four discernment practices. It's one of the chapters. And one of the discernment first practices is asking, is this mine? I ask it all day long. Is this mine? Is this mine? Is this mine right now? Is this mine at Suzanne's age now? Is this a little Suzanne? Is it not Suzanne? And so asking, asking, and when we ask, we want to pull it from our actual heart space versus our think head again, feel, feel versus think, feel, is this mine? And it almost comes immediately, whether the person is trained or not, if we trust our body. So is this mine? No, that immediate no, then you're going to do that old logical head. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, how can it not be mine? You know, so who's is it? Who's is it? Yeah. And those are the next, those are the next ones. Whose is it? What is it? Why do I have it? What did I encounter? So it's becoming intimate relationship dialogue with oneself in terms of the questions. And this will save your life in terms of um, taking on sadness and pain that is not yours. I am here to tell you that identifying that boundary again. Yes, I got triggered. I got, I got, you know, um, hijacked. I got taken over, whatever. And then really noticing your triggers. Oh my goodness, this is a trigger. This goes back to my childhood, even though it isn't mine, it feels like mine because of this trigger and so forth. And so, and then just really ultimately this all wraps up with very extensively in the um, appendix, I, I do a full body scan. And it's important in my opinion to be intimate with your own body in terms of scanning it. I can feel it's right here. I can feel it's right here. It's on my shoulders. It's in my heart. It's on my back so that you are intimately knowing what is yours and what isn't yours. So there are practicums that we can do. And how do you take it out? So now you've identified this isn't mine. Yep. How do I remove it? This is where I give 100% creativity and I don't have the right to tell anyone how to do any of this, but I give suggestions. And my suggestion on how to get it out is have fun in terms of maybe you do a burn, maybe you do a dance, maybe you use a drum, maybe you use a candle. Oftentimes I'll take a bowl of sage and I'll stick it right under my um, fan on the ceiling and watch it disperse and go off. So the point is, is you're getting it out of your experience and back to what we would call source energy, to the Akashic, to the God source, whatever package label you wanna put on that stuff, you want it out of your body and you wanna get it back up to source energy. You talk about in um, at one point realizing that you had not cleaned out your office after somebody left. Mm -hmm. You want to tell that story? That was a big one. <laughs> that yeah. was a big one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was very new. I had a young man that we had taken in, one of my kids' friends who had had a very dark experience and was on the streets and was doing the drugs and the 
lots of hitchhiker energy and lots of everything. And I was working on him one time up in my room. And when I finished his session, which was quite deep and dark with a lot of really bad stuff, if I can just say that, um, I didn't clean my room fully. I didn't clear it. We kind of walked out together and I didn't really shut it down professionally. And the next morning when I came up to do my own work, uh, this is on a loft on top of my garage. Um, the staircase was open at this point because we were under construction and I was standing at the top of that staircase and I'm five, seven, five, eight, right in there. I got tossed down the staircase and I hit the second step. So that tells you that that height flipped upside down. I didn't get, I didn't slip <laughs> is my point. And I got pummeled right down the staircase and landed on the cement slab because there was so much, and I don't want to really say demonic, but pretty dark, pretty dark stuff. Um, in this in this young man and in, in, in the room. And I had left it as residual energy because I was ignorant at that time. I didn't know. And I took it on and I physically took it on and it manipulated my field and tossed me down the steps. And I ended up in ER. And I was astral, I can astral out of my body and I could hear the doctors out in the hallway talking about me and saying, I don't understand why she is like literally like more, I don't know, more hurt. More broken. Yeah, more broken. Yeah, that's the yeah. words. Why isn't she more broken? And it was because mm -hmm. I was fighting this entity on my slab on the ground in the garage right there going, you will not, you will not. And so I was having this little bit of a war. And, and then my kid, you know, found me and took me off to the hospital. But I was very much pulling everything out of me at that very point. So mm -hmm. things can be dangerous when we don't know the rules. <laughs> right, right. How? Yeah. Why are we not naturally protected? Why do we have to protect ourselves? Why are we not naturally protected? I, that's I mean, a did great, we come in dumb or what? <laughs> no, that's a great question. But I think what you're going to find the answer is funny. We are naturally protected. The problem is, is our head doesn't think that we are, so we don't command it. We also need to command that space of protection. So it is there. It's eternal. It's infinite. We have a birthright to that. But if we're not participatory, by not consenting to things, we then can change the energy. But by not paying attention, we're consenting. Did you follow that? Because that's really important. If we're not paying attention, we're consenting to the dark energy. If I stand so up and we say- We have to pay attention because I think I should be, um, you know, protected without me having to think about it. Yeah, you but know, if you- I, I just- you know, this is, this is your job. <laughs> right. But yeah. the essence is, is our free will makes the whole story different. So if I'm actually dealing with dark stuff and I'm not paying attention and I'm not pulling up my own consent or my non-consent either, or if I'm not pulling that boundary, then I'm consenting to what's going on. So really, I mean, energy is just energy. There isn't somebody or something out there monitoring what's good and what's bad. It just is. So be very clear that this is why this is critical stuff for us, even as practitioners and or normal people, if we want to say that walking around every day, yeah. um, you know, we need to be aware of what we are consenting to by not paying attention. Mm -hmm. Because there's we so have to pay attention, though. Yes, there's you know, so much programming. I, you know, I was still looking at little kids and I was thinking about how they are so not aware of their body. You know, yes. everything works. There's no pain. You know, they're so not aware of their body. And I kind of feel like we should be that way with our protection. Not aware, but it's there. It works. Everything's good. But you the know. child, Barb, works in love and playfulness. Mm -hmm. 
the adult works in fear, right? Fear. Mm -hmm. So that's two different fuels again. So when I'm in a love fuel, I am in alignment with all and I am consenting with an open heart and joy and everything is flowing. But if I'm working in fuel with all these belief systems that we accumulate as we grow, literally we're churning out fear, 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 fear. So this is telling the universe everything I don't want, which is in essence, everything I get. Yeah. So in other words, when you're given the attention to what you're afraid of and exactly. it's coming. It's yeah, the law of attraction, yeah. one of the laws of the universe. And it's right, pretty simple. Right. But again, who teaches us the laws of the universe? Nobody's sitting in, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth grade going, okay, kids, we're going to talk about the laws of the universe. It would certainly help our whole species if we understood it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Someplace we understand. I feel like yeah. somewhere in there we understand. Yeah. Because yeah. like cause and effect, you know, karmic return, all of those things, laws of gender, laws of balance, all of those things really can make our life very much balanced in how we actually are creating. And most mm-hmm. of us just live either in fear or ignorance. And so that's really hard because once you're starting to go, I will not fear this. I am going to put love into my life and playfulness and joy like that child. This is when things change. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is so full of fear right now. Yeah. Uncertainty, all of it. You know, what is that doing to us as the human race right now? It It is. I feel it's like just, it's blowing us up somehow. Yeah. You know, but it's also pushing us to look at our dark sides it's pushing us to go to our dark nights of the soul individually and collectively it's looking for us to be the saviors that we think are coming to save us because we are it um once we start to understand we've created this so therefore we can create it differently it's really finding this place of peace and harmony within yourself individually and oftentimes people will go well suzanne i'm just one little person i can't change the world and i'm like the heck you don't you are a quotient within that collective frequency that is constantly changing either a fear fuel or a love fuel. So the minute that you change, it all changes. So yes, you can start with you, right? Mm-hmm. How about, um, you know, what is your house capture and how do you deal with that? So you have people, <laughs> you know, coming into your office, but yeah. well, let's say my neighbor comes in. You yeah. know, and, and there's a drops a little energy in my house yeah, know, or whatever, or the energy lives in your house. You know, maybe it's a, a, you know, a happy house or a sad house. You've heard that, you know. Well, mine's, a, mine's an active house. <laughs> Obviously, mm-hmm. it always has been. <laughs> you know, if I, I raised four kids in here and the, it was always like, let's go to the Worthley house because something will always happen. So um, <laughs> I actually do a lot of work with my house. My true belief system is the house that you own is the extension of your consciousness. It's a living, breathing entity energy. And I'm very aware of that. I fill my house with rocks and selenite. I do lots of saging. My office is in the basement. I am right now in the basement and I have another one outside in the garage. Um, I take care of them. I sage them. I balance them constantly. I work with my trees when the storms are coming. I'm out in the yard actually speaking to my trees. You know, they all think I'm that crazy lady, which is fine. I do a lot of burning ceremonies. I, um, I'm very aware of my house, but I do have to say I am not perfect. I am just like anybody else. I really got my buds kicked about a year and a half ago by somebody coming in my home that I wasn't aware of that really brought some negative energy in. And I was too busy and I was back to that 3D world and didn't realize my my home was off, my myself was off, everything was off. But 
man, I got back on track as fast as I could. And then I diligently was doing my practices again of opening space, closing space, clearing space. And so, you know, just because we're a practitioner doesn't mean that we're fabulous and wonderful all the time either because we're human and we can get overloaded like anybody else. But I'm, I'm aware and I do a lot of work on myself and my family and my home. How did you pick up that they had dropped energy in there? How did you pick it up? Oh, it's a, this one was a lot. I felt I could feel it. It was a, you know how I explain it, Barb? It's like, remember when we were young and they used to serve jello at dinner Mm -hmm. parties and it was like a square of jello on a little plate. (laughs) And if you hit it, the jello would wiggle just like about that much. That's (laughs) what I call the wiggle factor. If you are intimately in alignment with your own frequency, vibration and fields, you will notice that wiggle factor. And I wasn't, I was exhausted and overdone and running like a, like I was years ago, just, you know, for a couple of weeks in there. And I, and I wasn't being, I wasn't being diligent and I missed the wiggle in my head. I knew the wiggle was there. So I didn't listen to either. And so it yeah, really was yeah. a lesson for me, but all lessons See, come I- with a blessing. When right. I notice it, to me, it's chaos. Like what you what you call the wiggle, to me, it's there's chaos here. There's upset. There's, you know, and then, but it takes me like 15 minutes of going through this angst. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Some energy's in my space. Yes. You know, <laughs> it I takes do me that, a little bit. Yeah. I do that also. That's a completely different one for me because I can feel exactly what you're saying. Also, things can come in chaos. Mm-hmm. Like, three out of the four of my kids car broke down in the same week in three different parts of the twin cities. It was like, what is happening? You know, so I can have that. This one was a little bit more manipulative and kind of dark. And so I I look for the wiggle factor when it's a dark entity. Mm -hmm. So, and some of them are very deliberate trying to sneak in, you know, like one of the last ones that it was chaos. I saw him as an empath. I saw him try to come into my space and I held my boundaries and then he distracted me ah. and got in. <laughs> I know. And of course, I didn't notice this until later, but it was an odd thing. It was like, wow, I was on my guard and then I missed it. <laughs> well, and I think I think it's not that we're always just missing it in, in terms of like we're lazy or, you know, we're, we're missing the mark or whatever. I think what happens for me, at least, and possibly for you and others, is that when we have those kinds of things happen to us, It's really setting us up for an upgrade. It's setting us up to get more diligent because in a macro scenario, something's coming in harder and stronger. So I think we just kind of get that little clunk on the head. And so I think it's important for us to be kind to ourselves and others that do slip up like that because no one's going to be on task 24-7. And now when I look back, many, many of those times when I was sort of like bumped on the head, it's because something really big was coming in and they wanted me really diligent. So I, I kind of honor those, if that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about telepathy and mediumship and paranormal um, well, empathy. I've been telepathic since I was a kid. And I start out this book about a story when I was small and, and had a blood disease and how I had a little, not little, very large, actually, alien heads on my ceiling. And I would telepathically communicate with them. And so I I was telepathic for, you know, many, many years as a child. And I just assumed everybody was. And then when I started to find out that I was that weird one, you know, you feel like that when you're eight <laughs> and nine, you start to shut down all that stuff. But I was always telepathic with my sisters and my um, intimate 
groups and my work people. I could literally give messages in my head to staff members to bring things to a meeting and they'd show up with them in hand. I mean, it was just a hoot. So I was always using it. And I think that this is, again, a birthright of humans. I encourage my clients to practice telepathy, practice it. It's a muscle that's kind of dormant in us and practice mm-hmm. it with, you know, who's going to call, who the phone is ringing, who do I think it is? Look at your mail without seeing who it's from and see if you can, you know, figure out what it is. Do the practicums and have fun with it to try to get that to work again, because it can come back fairly easy. So mm-hmm. being in this world of energy, I teach a lot and I teach a lot about ghosts and spirits. And that's what brought me into the paranormal world. So that kind of bridged me into mediumship. And I use my body oftentimes for the dead to come and talk through me, or I can read their photograph or I can hold something of theirs and I can get the information that way. Again, these are skills that I believe most all of us have to some extent, but maybe not like, you know, we can all sing, but we can't all sing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know like, what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yep. and, and I do my best to keep practicing those because I would love to be more and more adept at those things. And so I'm very honored when I get to be able to have someone's loved one come through my body for information. I think that's just a, an amazing opportunity. And I'm really super grateful when that happens. When you, that's really kind of like channeling. Yeah. So when you do that, do you, as a spirit, step back and just allow them to come in? It's, but yeah, that's exactly when I teach it um, up at this place where I do a spirit search every year, I tell them I step, Suzanne steps back, but she is always there monitoring. And this is again, part of being a confident empath. You want to never give your vehicle away a hundred percent because this is your vehicle. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the ability to step back in your actual templates and I push my auric field forward and I let it run like a movie screen and then I shape shift and I change. And so that will happen pretty organically with me. But again, I'm always in there because I monitor that and I've had things come through where I'm like, nope, absolutely not. I do not consent. You got to leave, you know, so it's being diligent with that as well. And then whenever I've channeled, I always have another psychic there to make sure that they pull out completely. You Again, know? very you, important. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because they do like leaving that back door open. <laughs> well, and, and it can be scary. It's like leaving a little mm-hmm. shard of something out there. And we deserve to have our shards back. We deserve to be complete. And right. that energy that you worked with deserves to be complete on the other side as well. So it's about honor mm-hmm. on both sides. Right, right. But they weren't usually the ones doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leaving that door open. You talk a lot about auras and chakras mm-hmm. as as an empath working with them. Yep. And I I really break that out in this book. I broke it out in my first book, um, the Energy Healers Book of Dying, because I explained in that book we die via our chakras and our auric fields. That's how we actually shut down. This book, I explained it even deeper in the appendix in terms of what you can do for each of those. It's a map to your body. I'm, you know, taking this energy in here because this is the consciousness that's off. And so I give really big details, the rocks you want to use, the yoga poses you want to try, the oils you might, you know, work with, et cetera. So it's a really user-friendly guide in the back of the book on how to work with your energy fields. So even if you're a novice, this is good for Mm -hmm. you. Now, we have a few minutes. You want to tell me your best story or your best case? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I love all of the cases in this book and more. I think that, and I've told this one just on a couple of different interviews, but I think it's still my favorite. I was privy to a paranormal investigation in uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. And we all know Deadwood is the old, you know, really, really yeah. haunted everything. And we went and did a paranormal investigation in a, it almost was like a two-story building, kind of like, um, not a strip mall, but a two-story retail center. And on the top, way back in the 1800s and all the way through, I believe I say in the book, maybe it was the 1960s and maybe closer to the 80s. Um, it was a brothel and it was legal. And it was a very, very active brothel. And this whole complete building on the whole top floor of the block was the brothel. And we had the opportunity to go in there and investigate with all of our, you know, little paranormal tools, et cetera. Yeah, I don't yeah. use any of the tools. I just use my body as a tool. But mm -hmm. um, the place was completely empty. It, well, not empty. It had junk in it and garbage in it, but it was spray painted walls. There was nothing on the floors, nothing mm -hmm. on the walls. And I had probably one of the most extensive holographic experiences in time travel that I've ever had. Instantaneously, I could see the wallpaper. I could see the furniture. I could see everything. And I could feel who was in which room and what was happening. And I knew a gal had got murdered in a certain spot and then dragged to another spot. I knew where the money was hidden. I knew where, you know, and on and on. But the coolest part of the story is, is I had been introduced earlier that same day to a wonderful woman named Lucy, who at, she's my age, but at age three, her family dropped her mother, dropped her off at that brothel and they raised her there for like five years. Yeah. Unbeknownst to anyone, they kept her under the radar. And she experienced that brothel for five full years as a human being stuffed away for nobody to know about. And these mm -hmm. prostitutes were her friends. They were her parents. They were her everything. And she was right. terrified and yet not. And she actually FaceTimed me and validated almost everything and then actually decided to come down in person. And we walked the space and everything. And oh, I was wow. Seeing, everything yeah. I was seeing, she was, she was saying, and it was fascinating, but even more fascinating was Lucy's healing throughout that because she, even in her fifties at that point, went right back to being three years old. She knew where she could walk and not walk. She knew where she wasn't allowed and not allowed. <laughs> and it was an empty building. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, that is wild. So the, is wild. the warning on this is that, you know, people don't understand that that horror is in there, that pain, the, the beatings, the murders is in that. And if you slap some paint on and throw, throw a real estate office in there, you're going to have sick real estate agents and you don't know why, mm -hmm. you know? Right. So this is, this is why I think this is important to get out on this collective empathing and timeline empathing is this stuff's dangerous and we don't mm -hmm. get it. So how would you clean out a building like that? Yeah. I, I was going to say, most people don't know what to do with that. And uh, a lot of people will just do a sage or a candle or whatever, which is fine and dandy. But in my opinion, I think in those instances, when it happens with timelines and time quantum leaps, you need a quantum worker. And that's what I do. I go into the grid patterns. I go into the holographicness. I go in with geometry and reshape and repattern everything with their grids. And I do it extensively for my work. I just did it, you know, just last week. Again, I had a timeline from a hundred plus years ago. So these are um, things that not everybody can clear. It doesn't make me special or wonderful, but I think it is important to find someone that knows that skill set. Do you have um, ghosts that won't leave? That's like, nah, I'm um, you know, I'll wait till you leave and then I'm back. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I work in a haunted hotel where there's a couple of ghosts that do not choose to leave. And as long as we work with them in an honorable and kind way, um, when I do my events, it's not acceptable to do anything taunting like you see on the silly TV shows. 
we respect that they choose to be what we would call unregistered guests at the hotel. <laughs> and it's important for us to understand that they are, they had a human experience and we don't have any right to teach, treat them poorly. And so, yes, there's been very many that have chose to stay. And we talk about negative or upset energy. Mm-hmm. What about when it's great energy? Oh, you know, that's you will go my favorite. You just leave it alone. Huh? Yeah. Well, and, and or exponentially grow it bigger, you know, work to make it bigger. This particular hotel that I'm talking about used to be very imbalanced. And now with these wonderful, beautiful healing events that we do for ghosts and spirits, the light in that place is just like a beam up to the cosmos. I mean, this place is just amazing. And more and more spirits come for healing. More and more people's loved ones show up there. It's it's what we're supposed to be doing in this planet is healing. And this includes yeah. our trees and our animals and our plants. This includes our rivers and our rocks. This is everything. Our job is to heal and to joyfully experience. That doesn't mean that negative energy doesn't have a right to be here because it does. I just don't, again, have to put it in my sandbox. So, mm-hmm. And are we able, do you think, of taking this planet forward? I believe it's able to take us forward. (laughs) This planet will go forward regardless if we're on it or not. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) In some shape or form, whether the human being in the form that we're in right now chooses that roller coaster ride, you know, it's up to each individual person. And my take is, is that many of us were placed here to help in this ascension process. And in some timelines, I believe a lot of it is done already. And we're just experiencing how we got there. And that can look chaotic and scary. And so this is about belief and faith and trusting that the light can have dark within it that doesn't have to be scary, but it also can have dark within it that can be scary. So just discern, do your job, do your work, you know, Mm -hmm. be diligent and stay positive. It doesn't all have to be rainbows and bunnies, but come on, we we can find the good in something if we choose, right? Right, right. We are very adaptable. Yes. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much for being here. I want you to tell everybody where to get hold of you and what you have coming up and yeah. you know what's the what what's going on with you. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I appreciate you having me. I really love this subject. Uh like I said, the Energy Healers Book of Dying is also on Amazon and on my website. Confident Empath is there as well as well as anywhere on Amazon or whatever. Um, I actually have an online membership called Vibe Tribe, which is a monthly membership that's super cool. If you want to check that out, it's all on my website. I have a um, Energy Unleashed podcast on YouTube with my friend Kim that we're pretty, pretty diligent about uploading almost every single week. I do energy updates on uh, Instagram, so kind of everywhere on Facebook as well. So if you want to just go to my name, it's S-W-O-R-T-H-L-E-Y. Dot com. So it's just sworthly.com and almost everything you need to find is right there. Great. Great. Thank you so much for being on. I've loved our conversation. Super pleasure to meet another empath that's recovered. I'm proud of you. I know. <laughs> I Thank know. You. Recovered. I can now I'm seeing little pieces that I might need to work on some more, but we're good. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.